Talk Radio 570 KVI. It's KVI Want to Know Weekends. KVI Want to Know Weekends. Get ready to raise a toast with Seattle's most spirited hour of talk. Happy Hour Radio, sponsored by Mary Hill Winery. Explore the best in Washington wines, beer, spirits, food, and more with your guide, Seattle sommelier, Christopher Chan. It's Happy Hour Radio, right now on Talk Radio 570 KVI. Hey, 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 Seattle. Hey, Puget Sound. Welcome to Happy Hour Radio. Hey, it's Saturday night, and I hope you got something great in your glass. We're heading off someplace uh, for good libations and vibrations and the such. Uh, um, Saturday, September 12th, it's... uh, Hopefully you're at home or on the way to someplace cool. But if you're not, I imagine you're joining me right now at the Seattle Wine Awards Gold Medal Wine Experience. Down at the Marriott Hotel, we've got 50-plus wineries and tasting 150 wines. Check it out online, uh, seattlewineawards.com. You can see a video, and uh, it's really cool. So don't miss it next year. If you're sitting at home, uh, you're missing a big party. But we're having a party right here on air. And I've got uh, um, a wonderful, fantastic guest, one of our own, Ms. Madeline Puckett, who, uh, along with her partner Justin Hammock, produced a, a, a fantastic book called Wine Folly, The Essential Guide. To wine. Now, being a wine guy myself, there are lots and lots of books out there that claim to be the essential this, the perfect that, and what you need to know. Of course, it all started with Kevin Zraeli's Windows to the World, or uh, Windows on Wine, and uh, that was the guy who uh, um, was the wine director for the uh, restaurant in the sky at, on the uh, World Trade Center. And he wrote a book and uh, became sort of the, the first good Bible book. Of course, uh, Karen McNeil has something called the Wine Bible. But uh, for a new generation of people, a new generation of wine drinkers, this is really, really cool because Madeline Puckett's a, a lovely young lady, and she has a knack for um, graphic art graphic art and it's uh this book contains everything from um wine fundamentals to tasting basics to uh how to serve how to store how to how to pair wines um, and then a whole host of breakdowns on different kinds of wine so um, let's talk about this with madeline puckett welcome to happy hour hi how are you i'm great i'm really excited about your book and um congratulations so in the last five years you've created yourself as a national brand with the help of my partner, for sure. But yes. yeah, and it and it was qu- kind of one of those things where we moved to Seattle thinking we were going to start a wine bar here, going, we love wine. Washington wine seems pretty cool. Let's move up. We moved from Reno, Nevada, of all places, and um, in like a spur-of-the-moment decision, decided to come to Seattle instead of New York City. I don't regret that decision every day. <laughs> And so the so we started uh, WineFolly.com as a way to help people, as sort of a fun educational way to help people get into wine. There wasn't a lot of very approachable information on the internet about wine. There's a lot of stuff about super wine geekery or very high-end sommelier stuff. Nothing about the wines that everybody drinks every day. And it seemed like an amazing opportunity. And I used to be a graphic designer. I actually, before I became a sommelier, I... I lost my job, you know, in 2008. I was working for a newspaper, and they outsourced my entire uh, department to India, which was oh funny and ironic. And I remember I remember my boss crying. She's really sad for me. And she's like, I'm so sorry, but, you know, you're going to do great things. And and it was one of those things where I was like, okay, I guess I got to go do stuff. <laughs> I got to figure this out. And I got passionate about wine, and that was my opportunity to be like, well, how can I put these two passions of mine together? 
And the book is a culmination, and it's all original content that's not been before featured on our site, of basically how I learned how to communicate wine in a visual way. And I spent a lot of time thinking about putting it together. It actually took two years. They they gave me a one-year <laughs> deadline. It took about a year and a half <laughs> of work, and it's finally coming out this September. How exciting. So uh, the, wine is, the book is called The Essential Guide to Wine, and just in reviewing it from my uh, lofty position here as advanced sommelier, I think this is right on. This is such, um, I, I mean, I'm excited to review it and just, uh, you know, re-imprint uh, all this information into my catalog and lexicon of things that I have to talk about. Um, but this is really fantastic. It's uh, um, a soft cover book with uh, with great color graphics, and this is really fun. It's actually inviting you. Um, just the style, the simple layout. It really looks like almost uh, it's it's part website in a book. Yeah, you know, I, I we we made the website. We're web people. That's where my partner and I are the best the best at. And I started making these infographics a few years ago in on the site. And, and the whole time, I've been trying to figure out how to create a book, which is something you flip one, start on page one, and then you go forward. I kind of imagine this book as like you open it up, and you go, okay, here we are. What can I learn from this page? Where does it take me from here? And so the idea is that this is not a chronological step-by-step book. It's like you just open it and learn something new. And, and and it's weird to say this, you know, I put it together, but I still use it, every, like, nearly every day. <laughs> I'm like, what was that thing about Tempranillo? I'm going to go look it up. How fun. And, uh, well, you ended up in Little New York, as the settlers called this uh, lovely little uh, Puget Sound, Elliott Bay Town. And um, I'm looking at, so first of all, let's just talk about, let's go right into wine basics here. And, again, the book is called The Essential Guide to Wine from winefolly.com. And Madeline Puckett and her partner Justin Hammock are the... Uh, Publishers, editors, or what, what do you well, call Well, it's yourself? actually being published published by Avery Books, Penguin Avery Books, out of New York, and so it's available everywhere. You can get it at Amazon, you can get it at Powell's Books, you can get it at Elliott Bay, you know, you can get it wherever you can get a book, you can find it, and we're going to have Even it available. online, right? You can buy it online. Winefolly.com. Yeah, that's true, winefolly.com. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's talk about some wine basics here, just for our, our listeners, because, I, you know, I try to do that, but I want to hear it from your side. So, tell me what the basics are of wine here, and I'm just going to give you the introduction, everybody. Do you like wine? Want to know more about it? This book is for those of us who need simple guidance to get over the challenges of getting into wine. It contains practical knowledge that is immediately useful to help you find and enjoy great wine. So with that introduction, Madeline Puckett, let's talk about some wine basics. Oh yeah, so when we started the book, I was thinking about what what do I who is actually looking at this and what do they want to know? Well, we always start by drinking. We have a glass of wine and we start drinking. We see wine from the perspective mm, This is per- nice. perspective <laughs> of what's in my glass. We don't start with grapes or vineyards or seasons or harvest or anything like that. We start with wine in our glass. They don't sell vineyards at the grocery store. (laughs) So very quickly, I wanted to sort of be like, you know, wine's made with grapes. Wine grapes are different than grapes you buy in the store. And wine comes from the land. And and these are the sort of the basic different types of wine. And every year makes a new vintage. And each vintage is special because it's like a snapshot of what happened in that year. Well, the term vintage actually means year of wine. Year of wine, That's exactly. Right. Vint age. <laughs> so, so the first part was like, and then I started being like, well, what's in your glass? 
We see this mm-hmm. red stuff or this sort of yellowy stuff. Like, what's actually in that thing? So I'm not so terrified of it. And and something that would been very popular on our site was when I actually calculated the calories yes, in wine. I saw that. And, That's really cool. And it was one of those things where I was like, well, how much a, is a bottle of wine worth? I mean, I run. <laughs> I want to. I want to stay healthy. I don't want to overdo it. And wine doesn't have uh, nutrition facts on it because it's not nutritious, according to. Uh, to whoever does the nutrition facts. It's I'm, superlicious. It's superlicious. <laughs> so I wanted to sort of, hey, this is what you're working with, and this is okay, because it is okay. You know, the, even the Cancer Institute says, you know, women can have one glass of wine a night, men can have two. I'm sorry, my liver's just not as strong as yours. Oh, well, um, I think it's just body mass index. <laughs> it might have to <laughs> now do Now I can see why uh, I'm outgrowing some of my clothes here with the calories on this wine stuff. Holy smokes. That's why they don't put it on the label, because they don't want you like, oh, my goodness. That's oh my God. 840 calories? In a, well, in a bottle, not in a glass. I know. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so cool. Well, um, back to what the basics of wine is. So give us a quick one now. What is wine? So wine is basically just... You know, they take a bunch of grapes, of, of small grapes with seeds and skins. They mash them up and they, you know, they take that fluid and it just starts fermenting. It's Basically, it's a sweet juice that the yeast act and they eat and make alcohol and CO2. Yeah, it's a beautiful thing. And you've got some color and flavor and some phenols and aromatics and things like that. But the glass itself is really just what? It's water? 85% water yeah, typically? mostly water, a little bit of alcohol. And then what I call is like the magic stuff. <laughs> and and that like it's tiny. It's like it's less like two percent or less of the wine yes. is all the thing that makes wine this mysterious, amazing thing. Makes it colorful, flavorful, tasteful, uh, acidic, tart. Makes it unique and different. Yes, I like that. Okay, so that's what's in your glass. Now we have basic wine characteristics here, which is next. So tell us about some of that stuff. What I mean, we've got we know what wine is, how it's made. We have it in our glass. We see what you know, its composition is, and now what are the characteristics we're looking for? Well, that was one of those things, you know, a lot of wine experts like you and I will say things like, well, this wine is very tannic, or th- or this wine is has a very high acidity. And I wanted to break down those terms into very simple, like, this is what this is. When somebody says it's off dry, what like that sweetness, for, for those who don't know, like, what does off dry actually mean in terms of like maybe like spoons of sugar something you're so familiar with that you can be like I'm having an off dry wine it's how much does it say an off dry wine uh, let's see off dry wine is uh, a little extra dry I don't have off dry on the sweetness here I've got dry which is 10 to 20 calories extra dry 7 to 10 that's Demi-sec- probably about it so that's like a half a teaspoon of sugar yeah and and so then you go well there's a half a teaspoon of sugar in my glass well that's not very much but for 5 ounces yeah that's that's yeah. fine. Yeah. That's like, that's real. And plus, it also also counts on the acidity. It's yeah. like what makes lemonade. You yeah, exactly. Add, right? Like you used to put, and so then when you go in and you look at acidity, you can see that it it, it talks about well, you know, an, uh, uh, acidity more acid, you can add more sugar to it and you can't taste it. Right. Like that's a secret about acidity, just like the lemonade, like you were talking about. And then I talked about tannin as being this this thing that we feel it's an astringent flavor. It's like a tea bag on your tongue, mm-hmm. and 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 once you have those things, where you can connect with them, and you go, you can taste them in wine. You can start separating because a great taster yes. is just r- really awesome at like 
breaking apart everything in the wine. They don't they don't see it as a big glom. They see it as all these little units put together. It's like the tactile part of our of our, our palate, our our tongue, right? We've got sweet, sour, salty, uh, bitter, umami, right? Yeah. And there's another one they're trying to make. The sixth sense. There's there <laughs> there's like twenty six. But I've yes. Heard. Oh really? They, there's like all these like kind of like Hindu gods or something. Menthol and then pecans for spiciness and then calcium for our, the texture of like raw spinach on your tongue. Interesting. That's calcium. That's weird. It is weird. Well, uh, so we have uh, sweetness, acidity, tannin, and then, of course, alcohol. That's a good one, too. <laughs> well, alcohol is amazing stuff because, you know, when you de-alcoholize a wine, everybody's like, God, this tastes terrible. I, I just don't know why. It's just because it's not boozy. Well, it turns out alcohol adds all this texture and all this body to a wine. And as soon as you take it out, you're like, man, it's just it's really lacking. Yeah. It doesn't have any sugar because that right. adds body, too. It doesn't have any alcohol. It's just like there's not. It's just water. It's basically like tea. The funny thing about non-alcoholized or de-alcoholized wine is that there is actually is an ingredient label on those. And you can read what the heck's in there. It's Isn't crazy. That's amazing. Yeah, because that's, that's a... I got a really. Product. I got a side note. I got passionate about it. I'm not a. I'm. I'm a proponent of dealkalized wine. I'm not saying I'm not. That's all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, every now and then, I, I still haven't found a good one though. I think. Uh, you let me know as soon as you do. Let me know. Yeah, I want to know too. I don't. I don't think that's possible to be honest. Um, I think it's called grape juice and Welch's is cornered. Those are really good, actually. Uh, good for you, and obviously full of sugar. And then the body part, yes. But then that's what makes wines light bodied. And full-bodied alcohol is a major component of that, mm-hmm. but also is the the weight of uh, the phenols and the uh, anthocyanins that give it the color that and, color, and the yeah. taste. So the reason why I put body in here, and, and and some could complain that body is not really a characteristic of wine, is I wanted to say, well, body is the culmination of all these fundamental components, yeah. and it describes very instantaneously where that wine sits in terms of style. Yeah, so it could be a pond, it could be a lake, it could be a sea, it could be an ocean in yeah. terms of weight. Oh, an ocean of wine. I like an ocean that. of wine. Well, it's out there in, in Australia, I hear. Um, well, I have the pleasure to speak with Madeline Puckett, uh, winefolly.com, and she's written a new book, which is coming out uh, September 22nd. September 22nd, The Essential Guide it's to like Wine. 10 days. From 10 now. days, that's right, and counting. Uh, so we come back from this break. We're going to um, continue down this fantastic path. We're going to talk about how to serve wine, uh, wine pairing with food, uh, temperature storage, and then get into the styles of wine. And I'm really excited about this because each page is is full of of great information in a very sensible, easy, uh, inviting graphic way. So stick around. We'll be right back with Madeline Puckett and WineFolly.com right here on Happy Hour Radio. Alicia Gellis with Waterbrook Winery, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KBI. The Commute with Carlson, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on Talk Radio 570 KBI. You're in the know with KBI Want to Know Weekends. Here's more Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. Hey, welcome back to round two of Happy Hour Radio, and I've got the pleasure of uh, hosting Miss Madeline Puckett, who is the author of uh, and the founder of WineFolly.com, but author of the Essential Guide to Wine. We were chatting about uh, the basics of wine, but let's talk about wine glasses, wine serving, wine temperature, things like that. Of course, this is all contained in this fantastic uh, um, tome. <laughs> uh, wine glasses. What makes wine glasses so important when tasting wine, Madeline? 
Well, this is something that for the longest time was not proven with science. And I, the man who really championed it was the Riddell and the the Riddell company going around being like, well, wine really needs to be in a prop, in its proper glass. And there was nothing to support that until recently a Japanese uh, study came out and they were uh, trying to understand how it, wine was evaporating into the air, into the glass. And they basically showed that, yes, glass really does matter because all those aromas are what you get when you're smelling a wine. And that's what makes it taste the way it does. So much of our flavor of wine comes from our nose and the you know what happens in the back of our nose and the front of our nose. And they were able to show that glass does matter. It does matter, and that's why there's a bowl. A bowl sort of captures all those uh, aromas and the, the volatizing of the phenols and, um, well, bouquet that comes out. And, and so glassware is important. Now, how do you recommend someone to, to really have a, a couple all-purpose glasses, or do you really want them to, quote-unquote, geek out and go spend a bunch of money on 15 different kinds of stems? That's a great question. I say it, it goes way back to what are you drinking on a regular basis, and then what is your situation at home? If you've got flailing arms, you know, children running around, things like that, you might want to get a pair of stemless glasses. You know, if you drink primarily Syrah and bold red wines, you might want to get some, you know, bigger sort of Cabernet-style glasses, as they might call them, so that you can collect all those awesome aromas and just sit there and with your nose in your glass at the end of the work and just smell. Mm, that's like, that's the moment that you want. So when you choose glassware, it's more about balancing that. It's the best yeah. of both worlds. We we could all have the perfect glassware, but let's be honest, is it going to break? And so when I did the research, I I started noticing, well, there's crystal and there's glass. And I wanted to talk about the difference between the two styles. And then I wanted to talk about glass shapes. So like when you choose a glass, you can get the right shape basically for your preference. So if you're mainly a white wine drinker, you should get a white wine glass. They sure. tend, tend to be a little smaller. And mm -hmm. that's the, the reason they want to keep uh, the wine a little closer together so it holds the temperature, the cooler exactly. temperature longer. But then when you get a Pinot Noir with very aromatic varieties, you want to have a big glass so that you can collect all those aromas. More surface just, area too, that Oh, just put your nose in there yeah. and just be like, oh, wow. But then when you like, you like Syrah, for example, I keep picking on Syrah, um, it's, <laughs> sometimes it can be really spicy and peppery. Yeah. And, Northern and, Rhone. And, and Sangiovese is the same way. So if you have a, a glass that's a little less globy, it actually reduces that spiciness, and you don't get so much of that burn on your nose, especially for a high-alcohol wine. You don't get so much of the burn. Mm -hmm. it, a little bit like with port glasses, they're very small, you know, if you're into port. Cause, uh, so, yeah. you don't, so you don't get too much of that burn on your nose from the higher alcohol. So those, are, those suggestions are in the book, and then I came up with basic, a basic set of all of them. But the idea is you're going to pick what you need for right. your own personal what self. Works. Mm -hmm. And if you want to hand wash them, you get the really expensive stuff, but they exactly. see hands still break. You know, it's interesting when we talk about um, this this recent study from Japan about how wine is affected by the shape of the glass. You know, breweries, beers have been served in different uh, um, vessels forever. I mean, you've got the Chimay glass, you've got the Pilsner glass. So they knew that ahead of time, or before, I should say, and, and now wine is catching up, which is odd. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, it's funny. You know, the... 
Beer drinkers care. <laughs> and we care about beer drinkers here on Happy Hour Radio. I have the pleasure of chatting with Madeline Puckett, author of The Essential Guide to Wine. So, Madeline, now let's talk about serving wine real quick. Um, obviously, it's about temperature. You, you always want a clean glass. Whatever you want, make sure your glass is clean. Uh, that's the that's what I always tell people. Um, hopefully, you have the right glass that fits your style of wine, of course, whether mm-hmm. it's white or red. Um, but wine temperature is equally as important because we tend to chill our whites really much too cold to, uh, to allow the grapes to express themselves yeah you get um when you're when you're too cold you don't get uh the aromas don't volatilize into the air you you need it at the temperature that the that uh what happens is the little alcohols start evaporating <laughs> and they carry these little volatile aromas these little esters and all this kind of stuff um aromatic esters into the air and they get stuck in your nose and you you want it to be just cold enough so that it's it's still cold and enjoyable to chill on your tongue, refreshing. Sometimes if it's cheap, I'll chill it because I'm like, it doesn't taste so good. I'm just gonna make it really cold so yeah. I can't tell. And <laughs> but then with red wines, it's the same problem too. Like you said, we over chill our whites. Well, we overheat our reds because we're serving them at room temperature. Turns out what what the French thing is room temp. I think the French it's are cellar to, temperature. They right? like it's like cellar temperature. They must wear sweaters all year round. Long. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's room temperature. That's the French paradox. They wear sweaters. <laughs> well, temperature is important. So red wine should typically be a little cooler than mm-hmm. what you think because they'll, they'll warm up and it's part of that little journey which the the wines develop in the glass. I yeah. think that's really oh, fun. Oh yeah, it's a beautiful thing. You start t- smelling it. You're like 15 minutes later. You're like, wow, it's so different. And even champagne. So when the challenge is when you when you chill sparkling wines or champagne, typically champagne paint already has high acidity mm-hmm. and chilling it just makes that acidity seem more pronounced so you want a little little warmer champagne I don't call it warm but less chilled and uh, that allows you to, to really appreciate the complexity and in, in the 50 60 bucks you're spending on that bottle that's true uh, so temperature true. what's after well let's talk about wine pairing what's your theory I mean I see a little page here about theory we'll talk about the flavor pairing theory well you know wine fundamentally is a fermented beverage so it's going to have acids in it it's going to be more on the acidic end of the spectrum and it some whether it's sweet or not these are sort of the components that you're working with so when you're pairing it with food so i talked briefly about pairing food and wine together and there ba- there's two fundamental thoughts on this you can either do it as a congruent pairing where the flavors in the dish and the flavors in the wine kind of match each other so like let's say it's a Zinfandel and it's got lots of cinnamon flavors and you've got a dish that's got like five spice powder in it Mm -hmm. and that kind of a thing so that's a congruent pairing or you can have a complementary pairing perfect example of that is lime and coconut. <laughs> lime is like the super acidic, you know, very tart thing. And then coconut's the soft, round, smooth thing. So when you're doing, you can do them on your own. It's easy. But you just have to remember what those fundamental characteristics are. Wine. I had some basic advice in there. You know, if you're having a wine with a lot of tannin, pair it with something with some fat. Because the tan- the fat is going to work with that tannin. The tannin is going to work with the, the fat. Tannin is dry and bitter. Fat is soft and, and yeah. oily. Yeah, and, and those two components work really well together. If you're doing sweet pairings, like you have a sweet food that you want to pair with wine, try to see that you can find a wine with a little more sweetness or a little more fruitiness because... It might fall. It, it usually falls on its face when it doesn't have that sweetness. To as it. sweet or sweeter. As so, the general rule is as sweet or sweeter. So the so there's some great f- sort of 
tips on that. And then I had a, a few pages. I made this great infographic that was very popular, and I basically redid it with more detail in the book um, to show here are different kinds of cheeses and what wines they go with. Here are different kinds of meats, uh, fish, poultry, that kind of thing, and sort of the f wines that go with those type of things. And then I even went on to vegetables and spices. Because, you know, uh, when yeah. you're working, when you're doing ingredient pairings, if you think you want to use cumin and cinnamon, maybe you should understand what wines go well with that. Or if you're working with a lot of fresh herbs, you should have some advice on that, too. And because so much of what w the ingredients, the foods that we make are spice and herb driven, I really was inspired to include that in the book. Well, I see this. You, it looks like a uh, um, a metro bus map here with the uh, the great lines from New York or Subway or even France. Uh, so you have cheese pairing and you talk about fresh, salty, and sour or delicate, nutty cheeses, strong and firm and pungent. And then meat pairing, of course, you have mollusk, fin fish, uh, shellfish, white meat, cured meat, and red meat. I like how you put the little lamb there. That's cute. <laughs> Vegetable pairing is really fun because uh, you go from mushrooms, beans, uh, nightshade, which is interesting, and uh, green vegetables and root vegetables. Of course, the herbs and spice pairing is really important because uh, we like to flavor our foods. We like to doctor things up, and I think that's where, where, where wines can really go wrong when you're like, oh, I got this great dish. It's beef, but next thing you know, you're putting in uh, chili peppers and five spice or whatever it is, and all of a sudden, wow, the wine doesn't work. Your wine falls on its face or something. Yeah, that's that's true. So, so that's so that's some advice for the home cook or anyone who's interested in pairing, even at a restaurant. You're just thinking about what might go. You know, I'm going to go to an Italian restaurant. I'm going to have lasagna. Maybe I should lean towards a medium-bodied red wine that's got some more acidity and it's going to hold up against that tomato. Right, because tomatoes are really uh, are bright and acidic. Uh, and it's funny how we add, actually, for ketchup, add a little vinegar to those tomatoes. That's because <laughs> you add sugar too, I guess. Um, interesting and. I, do you have any condiment pairings here? Do you have a mustard pairing? That or? was one. Okay. There were some things, a year and a half of work, there were some things that got cut that I can't wait to put in the next edition. Okay. Well, when we come back from this break, we will talk about uh, some styles of wine. And I think that's going to be very helpful for our listeners. Light-bodied wines, uh, aromatic wines, rosés, full-bodied. We'll do give two examples, but you have 55 different examples here. That's right. So fun. Uh, having the pleasure of speaking with Madeline Puckett, author of WineFolly.com, or founder of WineFolly.com, and author of The Essential Guide to Wine, which is being released September 22nd online and uh, all around the world, because uh, you are now a big uh, media mogul with your website and this fantastic <laughs> book. So stick around, folks. Uh, pour something in your glass, something tasty, and uh, come on back. We'll be right here on Happy Hour Radio. Milligan with Tequila Celestial, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chen on 570 KVI. A look at the world from a Northwest perspective. Lars Larson, live, weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KVI, want to know weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. 
All right, friends, it's uh, time for round three. I hope you got something tasting your glass. And uh, ironically, we don't have anything tasting in our glass. We're sipping water here because we're talking about this fantastic book, Wine Folly, The Essential Guide to Wine, with the author, Madeline Puckett. And I'm sure your uh, your partner, Justin Hammock, is probably at work, right? He's working right now, yeah. <laughs> well, um, while he works this evening, uh, let's talk about the styles of wine. Um, tell me, give me two styles that you want to talk about. I see you've got nine listed here. Let's talk maybe a light-bodied red wine and f- full-bodied white wine. I like that. Okay, <laughs> so let's start with the full-bodied white wine. All right, so, you know, a great one to talk about in the Northwest is going to be the Marsan blend, a, a very weird variety that doesn't get on many people's ver- radars and should be if you like Chardonnay. Um, Marsan is one of those grape varieties that comes from the Rhone Valley in France, and it's been growing quite well here in the Northwest, and there are many amazing wines with this, and that's why I wanted to include it in the book. When I did my research, I found out that there's quite a bit of it out there in the world, and it's planted all over, and more people should know about this grape and wines made with this grape. It's typically used in a blend. It's a wonderful blending grape, but it adds a lot of body a full-bodied character, much Richness. like Chardonnay would. Yes. Um, so you, when, when you go through the section of the sections, the styles of wine in the book, you get introduced to new varieties like this one. Say you're on Chardonnay, you flip a couple of pages later, you find something you've never heard of, and you can explore it. You can compare, say, looking at the Chardonnay page, you can look at the body of Chardonnay and compare it to the body of Marsan, or you can look at the flavors, the sort of primary flavors. What did I write as my primary flavors of Marsan? Uh, you have quince, mandarin, orange, apricot, mm. acacia, Ooh. and beeswax. Acacia. Now go smell an acacia to know what that's <laughs> the acacia like. Acacia tree, the blossom. Yeah, yeah. yeah they, they do have a very particular sort of flowery, powdery, flowery aroma. Um, and that's why I put it in there, even though I... It, it, uh, not many people are... F- well, you, you walk around in Seattle, you definitely get familiar with that just smell. Just smell everything, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> you see something, just smell it. It reminds me of that pink flower I smelled on 45th. Um, <laughs> well, what I like about this already is that uh, you've got the nine sections here, sparkling, light-bodied, full-bodied, white wines, etc. And each of the pages has a color guide to to hark back to the food pairings. I mean, you kept that consistent. Yeah, I did. Through the through the entire book, it's, it's very much so color-driven um, so that you can sort of remember and refer to things throughout the entire book and um, in there on the sort of the Marsan blend page there's a sort of the primary fundamental flavors that we tend to get in this wine which I actually worked with a couple of uh, advanced sommeliers and then I also collected uh, tasting notes from hundreds of wine tasting notes um, that I sort of took online uh-huh. and uh, put them all together and then sort of worked through it to sort of create, well, these are the flavors, the the possible flavors that people typically get when drinking this wine. So when you're maybe drinking your Marsan blend or your Chardonnay or whatever, you can go, I can't find that flavor. What could it possibly be? You can open to that page and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Those flowers on 45th. That's right. The acacia tree. I love it. And um, what's interesting, too, for each of these grape blends or wine styles, uh, you have a, a climate chart as well, which helps you understand um, cool climate to warm climate, some of the aromatics and fruit profiles that come out in the wine. And this is something you know about with your experience. And 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 it was a shock to me 
when I first <laughs> tasted a, I was drinking Malbec from Argentina. I remember this, and somebody recommended I try a Malbec from France, and I was not pleased with the result. And it was because I didn't understand that Malbec growing in France is going to taste different than a Malbec growing in Argentina. Argentina is a very hot climate. And they make a more round, lush, big berry-driven profile, whereas the French Malbec is going to be a little bit leaner and greener. A little cooler. Yeah. And, and so I included those so people could be like, oh. I understand that, why this is different. Yeah, I understand why. Oh, that well, that kind of makes sense. And then I also included, I uh, got some statistics from University of Adelaide. This guy, amazing man, Kim Anderson, created this book and a huge Excel document that he just uh, open source online of all the wine grapes varieties and where they grow in the world. Wow, like 5,000 plus? It's, 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 an, it's an astonishing, it takes a while to open. In, <laughs> and, it takes a while to download, huh? Um, Even Excel. So, uh, so I started working with that and I created these really cool sort of pie charts to show where they grow and you can see where they are most dominant. So if you're looking for a wine or you want to try a wine, you can be like, well, maybe I'll check out these top three countries and see what I can find. You know, go go into the wine store, be like, oh, do you have anything from France or maybe from Italy? Or it uh, looks like you have maybe, Mon you know, m maybe it's from Washington State. Mm -hmm. Well, <laughs> what I also like about this is that you have a flavor wheel or a an aroma wheel or what do you want to call it? Um, but it, it goes from herbal and floral to citrus groups, uh, tree, fruit and melons, tropical fruits. And it sort of gives you an idea of what can be contained in that particular blend. Okay, um, so let's talk about a little red wine now. Let's talk about a light-bodied red. What would you have in mind? I was thinking Pinot Noir. Pinot Noir. Excellent. We have a bunch of that a uh, little south of us. Uh, and the Willamette Valley does a great job and have been uh, recognized as a classic style of Pinot Noir. Um, Pinot Noir, well, let me find that page, but tell me exactly what, what makes Pinot Noir uh, light-bodied. Um, I think you got to go back a couple pages. Is it on P? It's on, you're right there, Gamay. It's the next one after Gamay. Okay. Gamay. Yeah. Gamay Noir is also a light body grape, which comes from France in the uh, Beaujolais region primarily. So so Pinot Noir, it's That's right fine. before that. Yeah, got it. And, yeah, perfect. It's Yeah, it's right after Gamay. It's, yeah. Oh, oh got it. So oh. it's, <laughs> I'm just, I'm like, just uh, drawn to all the, the charts. I'm like, wow, I can't really find it because they're so all Pinot's so beautiful. So Pinot's really special because it's grown in so many places. And it tastes so different in so many places. It was actually really hard to pick the primary flavors because it's a bit of a chameleon. It really picks up where it grows. Um, and that I would say Pinot was actually one of the hardest ones to do because of that. Because it can also be made into so many different wines. And there's a section of these pages. It's on the, uh, it's on the, on the bottom where they're all independent and different. And I talk about Pinot being, well, you know, Pinot can be a white wine. It right, can be a right. sparkling wine, a Blanc de Noir, yes. and it can be a red wine, it can be a rosé. Mm -hmm. It can be all of these things. And so so I wanted to include that so people can be like, oh my God, I can get a Pinot Noir Blanc. Versatile grape, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's amazing that, and especially with all the regions, sometimes it's a cooler region, so they're going to make a light rosé, or they're going to yeah. make a, a sparkling wine because of the grapes and just have more natural city and don't yeah. get that red and then wine the, flavor. You know, we make they make we make Pinot in California and we make Pinot in Oregon, and that whole climate difference is going to really really change the way it tastes. Um, so the flavor profile includes it's it's a lot it's very red fruit driven, and I have a lot of red fruits included on that, and then I talk about. Um, 
uh, the regions where it's grown and and gosh i think it's france and then the u.s we like france and the u.s make grow most of the pinot in the yeah, world yeah i mean germany new zealand um obviously Moldova and Italy, Pinot Nero. Uh, but we actually, more commercially, we use it here because those traditional areas have their own styles and, and some of them are just like Moldova. It's just got sort of this, well, they don't really have a commercial wine industry per se that's being imported here. But I'm um, looking at the red fruit chart here and I see something that strikes me. as It's called cotton candy. And I take it that's the pink cotton candy or is that the blue cotton candy? Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, there is a little bit of a difference in flavor there. I mean, when I pick, I mean, it's, I guess it's the same thing. But, like, when I think I want cotton candy, I usually want pink cotton candy. How about you? Um, yeah, pink's normal, but I think blue sometimes. I like because it stains your tongue blue. <laughs> <laughs> I think blue's supposed to be raspberry and pink is cherry. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that's the key. Oh, man. It's like I Otter Pops. Put, I should have put blue or pink. I should have specified. Well, it's under red, so you're going to get it that way. But this is really cool. So you've got uh, 214 acres of Pinot Noir. Is that in the United States, or where is that from? Oh, 214,000 acres. 214,000, yeah. Um, and that's the total. Total. I see, because yeah. oh, you've got this round circle again. It corresponds to France, USA, Germany, Moldova. Ah, perfect. Again, another, these aren't just random colors. These all work for a yeah. reason. And if you flip through the pages, you'll see that uh, United States is always red. France is always blue. You know, a Germany, I ch- it was usually, it's red, but like I changed it a little bit, so it's a different red than the U.S. It's a little darker. Okay. Uh, and I love that. And uh, you've got the sweet wines, Marsala's, fortified wines, uh, crazy uh, varieties like... Uh, Pinotage, which makes sense because that's a, a, a very exciting. Wine. And Carignan, which most people won't recognize. Um, but this is great. And uh, uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to talk about uh, final re- the final chapters of your book called The Wine Regions. And um, we're going to do a little quiz about question and answer, sort of a Jeopardy game between you and me. I'm going to talk <laughs> about the glossary because I think the glossary is really, really important for most wine people because we, we kind of understand these terms, but typically... Do you have nice in the glossary? Because nice is the most commonly used word to describe <laughs> This wine. is very nice. This is nice. And I like it. That's what comes next. So really fun. Um, speak with Madeline Puckett. Uh, wine Folly, the essential guide to wine. Um, what's this book going to cost? Um, it, it, it retails for $25. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great deal. This is really um, an easy access, full encyclopedia almost. But uh, hey, stick around. We'll be right back on Happy Hour Radio. Hi, I'm Charles Smith with Charles Smith Wines, and you're listening to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan on 570 KBI. A look at the world from a Northwest perspective. Lars Larson, live, weekdays, noon to 3. Talk Radio 570 KBI, want to know weekends continue. Now, back to Happy Hour Radio with Christopher Chan. All right, time for our final round, round four. Uh, we've got Madeline Puckett, the author of Wine Folly, The Essential Guide to Wine. We've talked about uh, wine tasting basics, uh, food pairing, um, light-bodied, full-bodied wines, and now we're talking about regions of the world. Uh, this is a cool section because it really gives you a, a breakdown of the map of the countries and really what they're growing there. So let's talk about, you've mentioned Argentina before, but people think uh, Malbec is like the grape that comes from Argentina. What else comes from Argentina? Well, they they make quite a bit of Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, they also grow this really amazing aromatic white grape called Torrantes. Torrantes, <laughs> and it's really lovely. And you know that there's a a really awesome. Uh, they they grow some Tanat. I don't even know if I've included Tanat because it's 
It's pretty you low production. You did not include Tanat. I did not include Tanat. <laughs> um, uh, that's North Uruguay, too, and, of course, and uh, they, France. And they actually grow in the south where it's cool, close to Patagonia. They grow quite a bit of Pinot Noir. Yeah, and it's really good. And it's very, really, very, very affordable. It's really good. Um, so another section would be, let's talk about um, Germany. Look at all this. You've got uh, the R, the Mittelrhein, the Rheingau, the Rheinhessen. And, of course, uh, we all know Riesling from Germany. Um, but, of course, they do have a little Spätburgunder, uh, which yeah. is Pinot Noir. But what Pinot else Noir. they got there, which is interesting? Um, well, there's Grauburgunder. Um, that's Pinot Gris. Um, there's Wiesburgunder, which is... Uh, Weissburgunder, yes. which is uh, Pinot Blanc. Um, and then Dornfelder, which is a medium-bodied red wine. And I mentioned these grapes. You know, Dornfelder didn't make it in the book, but when you're looking for German wines, you should know about this grape. It's a very, very commonly available uh, medium-bodied red wine found in Germany. And so uh, when you're looking at it, all, each page has a full map of the country and all the regions identified. And then each region has a list of the grapes so that you can see what wines are mostly grown in that area. So you can be like, well, Mosul really does specialize in Riesling. That's probably where I might want to get it. Oh, look, but Rhine makes it too. <laughs> you know, and 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 then R up there, that they got Pinot Noir. That seems odd, but maybe maybe an R Pinot Noir would be really good. So my hope is that by introducing these regions and showing what grapes they are, you can find more wines. And turns out Pinot Noir from the R it's pretty close to the same, you know, it's a little more north than, than France, but their wines taste very Burgundian. Interesting. Very much like French Burgundy. That's something we don't study enough of some of the regions, obviously, when it comes to, and you know, being a sommelier, we, we're kind of uh, exercising uh, ourselves in a bit of futility because we keep tasting the Rieslings and the Rieslings, and you got to branch out to learn more. And this book is great because you can learn a whole lot. It's, uh, what, 230 pages, um, all packed with colorful, in-depth, but uh, serious material, which is just digestible in a very, very um, friendly way. So uh, let's talk about, um, well, let's do some wine, U.S. detail. Here's a map here that talks about wines from, of course, Washington, Oregon, California, uh, Texas, the Southwest, Virginia, New York, Michigan, and the Midwest. Um, how did you do the research for wines in the Midwest? Okay, so I taking this grape statistics information that I found from Kim Anderson, I... I uh, organized all the regions of the United States and I separated them and then I started looking at well who makes the most who's growing the most I because I, I want to I, if it's below if they only make a hundred acres or less I'm probably not going to include them in the book that would be like a pin mark yeah. on this map <laughs> um, so I tried to over a thousand acres I'm probably going to try to include you and I found some really fascinating things about areas I didn't even know about like for example Ohio they make a ton of wine and so I wanted to include that because I wanted people to realize if you're buying this book in Ohio you'd be you know Ohio Wine Trail, go. They've been I, making wine a lot longer than Washington. They sure have. <laughs> they sure have. And they use really interesting grapes. And I mentioned them there. I want people to be familiar with what's growing around them. Yeah, that way you're not afraid. And when you get to, when you do a road trip, you're like, oh, what's this? Hey, I know what that is. I have that book, The Essential Guide to Wine. Well, uh, lastly, Ooh, yeah. let's chat about the glossary. Um, this is really important for people because on shows like this and in, in tasting rooms, we talk about glycerol or carbonic maceration or diacetyl. Um, so I'm going to give you a little quiz here, oh. Madeline. Yeah, well, <laughs> you wrote it. should be okay. Let's talk about Lee's aging. What is that? Well, Lee's is, is something that we are primarily 
familiar with in white wines. It's where you take these little dead yeast bits and you leave them in the wine and you stir them up and they add this wonderful creamy oiliness to wine. All right, that's a good answer. And um, let's talk about amino acids. Amino acids are a fundamental characteristic found in wine in that, that like small percentage and they make up part of the flavor profile. Fantastic. Well, there's a whole host of great glossary terms here and definitions. Um, a great chart for uh, of wines from around the world and grapes and styles. Congratulations. This is a fantastic book. I'm very happy for you. Woohoo. Uh, wine Folly, The Essential Guide to Wine is available September 22nd online at winefolly.com. Check Amazon. It's going to be a big, big deal and Dang. I recommend it. It makes the perfect gift for the holidays, by the way, and uh, not too soon to start talking about that. Madeline Puckett, thanks for joining me on Happy Hour Radio. Thank you. Hey, um, I'll see you next week, everybody. Uh, right here on the radio, we've got uh, some great guests as always, and I hope you have a, a great weekend. Uh, remember, folks, life is always better with a designated driver. Cheers! Cheers!